Rewind with Oisín Langan. Football's well. Coming up, we look back at how Kilkenny did it again against Galway and what frailties may have been exposed in Kerry despite the fact that they beat Tipperary by 10 points in the Munster Senior Football Final. We've also got Mickey Hart and Sean Kavanagh as well as Derek McGrath ahead of Waterford's clash with Tipperary in the Munster final next Sunday in Limerick. It is hurling we start with. We're joined by former All-Ireland winner with Wexford Ursula Jacob and former Offaly hurler and Irish independent GAA writer Michael Verney. Before we get to Michael and Ursula, let's hear from Kilkenny manager Brian Cody and before him, Galway's Michal Donoghue on if they had actually talked about and were prepared for the Kilkenny storm in the second half. Uh, the Cats were three down at the break and then came back into it in the second half. John Joe Farrell with the goal. Richie Hogan came off the bench and got five points. He was immense. He was awarded the man of the match. They eventually ran out 126 to 22 points winners. Uh, here is uh, Donoghue speaking after the game. Of course we were, but look, you know, as I said, we, I, I was happy where we were. Like, you know what I mean? As we were just saying to the lads, just, you know, obviously just up, up the tempo again and up the pace and uh, we're just disappointed the way it went. Like. There were times when we, did, we didn't play particularly well, if you like, in the first half. We created two very, very good goal chances. And if you know if both of those or even one of those had gone in, it'd probably put a different complexion on the scoreboard too at half time and it does kind of lift the team as well. So even even both of those goals, neither of them went in really and they kinda of dominated a bit after that I'd say as well. And and you know I think they went five points up at one stage during the first half. But we, we tipped away and with three points down at half time. But we, we were stronger in the second half, I would say we picked him up and our um, decent second half, yeah. Uh, look, I think from any team, any team's perspective, like you just have to match them. Like, uh, look, every, everybody knows it's coming in the second half, and as I said, look, there was a lot of positives for us to look forward to going into the second half, and um, you know, we just probably didn't meet, meet there or reach the heights we did in the first half. But look, that's what it is now. We look, we three, three weeks now to get back to the drawing board and push it on again and get ready for the quarterfinals. No, no, there's no intention to do anything in particular really. It was a question of, I mean, it wouldn't be going with pre RD and kind of things. We're going to spring him here or spring him there. Richie um, has been out injured for a long, long time, obviously, but he was able to maintain his, his fitness training a lot. His, fit, his fitness is good. He's very, very sharp in that. Obviously, a hand injury hasn't done any contact for a long, long time, but he was back doing drills and such like. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's a player who can... Obviously, a very, very skillful player, and you know we put Richie in there, and he certainly played very, very well. John Power went in as well, but it was a question of not any individual; it was a question of our, of, of all the players right throughout the field and the panel, every, all through the place, working very well. And you know, um, it was a good win at the end of the day. Brian Cody and Mihal Donoghue there. Brian Hogan is a multiple All Ireland winner with Kilkenny. He was off the balls match day analyst, and he has been speaking about just some of Galway's issues and what they are and what they need to correct I suppose when the dirty ball has to be won and by dirty ball I mean I mean you know where you, where, where you have to go in there where you know it's going to hurt and win a ball and you know bear in mind Richie was hurling there with a, coming back from a broken hand and you wouldn't you wouldn't know at all that he was carrying an injury I mean he was going in he was putting his hand in there he was winning ball he was taking a few slaps likewise TJ you know and if they weren't winning primary possession they were winning the free or they were, they were holding it in there and that's the difference you know John Joe Farrell as well whereas the ball just wasn't sticking for the Galway players and you can make excuses I suppose maybe about the quality of ball going in or whatever else but Ultimately, there was enough ball that went into that Galway full forward line to, you know, at least have, I suppose, have had a goal threat or, or, or to cause a few problems. Whereas, to be honest, looking at it over the last 35 minutes, the Kenny backs really were dealt with it pretty comfortably. Uh, Michael Verney, I'll start with you. Kenny did what they always do. It was like Groundhog Day, as Brian Hogan said earlier on. It's gas. Michal Dunhu came in over Galway this year and. You never, you never know, and it's something that Keane O'Neill has said in Kildare. You never know exactly what you're going to get from your team until it comes to that clutch kind of situation 
when hard balls need to be won and lads need to stand up. And I'm sure in Galway training, Michal Dunu would have thought that everything was motor and perfect. And they were in a great position at half time. They were in a great position after 45 minutes, three points up, and they're after kind of, I suppose, negotiating the first 10 minutes, which was big. But when push came to shove, no Galway player stood up yesterday. Nobody put their hand up to win a ball. And while maybe the quality of the ball going into the forwards isn't exactly what you wanted the whole time, but it's never going to be perfect. But no Galway player stood up. And I'd have to pick out in particular the likes of Joe Canning and that. Like When he was needed yesterday, these, those sort of players did not stand up. Whereas at the other end, when TJ was needed, when Richie was needed, John Joe Farrell, all these guys, there's, no, there's, there's 15 names you could pick out there in Kilkenny. When they were needed, they stood up. Whereas on the other side, the Galway players just didn't stand up. They got themselves into a brilliant position, just like last year's All-Ireland. And it, it, it'd be worrying for them. And while people are saying it, it could be promised, this promise, like they showed promise and going forward, they'll improve. At the end of the day, that, that mental kind of fragility that we've seen in recent years is still there. And, and how a manager gets rid of that, I, I don't know. Ursula, you've been in that situation whereby you've had to work hard to get to a level of success that you know brought you to All-Irelands, etc. But how do you do that? How do you get leaders to stand up in a team like Galway need as they go on throughout the rest of the season? Well, I suppose they, they, you know, they have to learn from, you know, previous games and previous mistakes. And I'm sure there was a lot of homework done previous to this game yesterday. Uh, and they, you know, they would have most recently looked at the All Ireland last year. And I suppose they would have been maybe in training trying to uh, improve on some of the failings that happened last year. But unfortunately, you know, yesterday it didn't seem to work out. Like you'll see in the closing 20 minutes. Uh, Kilkenny scored nine points and, uh, and Galway only got three so you can see that it seems to be in the last maybe 20-25 minutes of a game that Galway are struggling um, and it's very hard maybe to, to, to work on that but it's it's not something that can just happen overnight either it has to be adopted into their training and into their mentality that you know, when things are getting tough, who's going to be standing up? Who's going to be the leaders? And unfortunately, yesterday, the same thing, the same story seemed to happen again, that in the closing 20 minutes, um, you know, the, the, Galway, you know, seemed to be lacking kind of leadership and were, were you know, failing to win their own ball. And I think that was the difference at, uh, at the end of the day. And is that something they can rectify throughout the course of the year? Or do they just not have the players? And do they have to try and plan around that? Well, I suppose they're, you know, they, they, to be positive, they have to try and see is there some way of rectifying that? Because if not, you know, what's, what's the point? You know, you, you have to, you have to try rectify and learn from the mistakes and see, you know, what areas they can, they can improve on. Unfortunately, you know, some of the, the, some of the subs that they brought on yesterday, you know, made very little impact in the game. And, you know, maybe the panel isn't as strong, whereas you could see that when Richie Hogan and John Power came on, you know, Richie Hogan got, got a point after 20 seconds, you know, so it just maybe told Jessica that maybe the strength and depth in the Kilkenny panel was, you know, that that bit greater. Um, whereas, you know, in Galway, when when they when they needed a few scores or, you know, needed someone to win win one of their puckouts, you know, they were struggling. But definitely, they have a lot of work to do, you know, ahead of their next game. But, um, you know, it's going to be a tough task as well. I felt sorry for Michal Donoghue in many ways, Michal or Michael, because. If Galway don't win an All-Ireland this year, or at the very least if they don't give Kilkenny a rattle or get close to them, it's going to be said, these lads got rid of Anthony Cunningham and now this is karma, this is justice being served. Is that a fair narrative or is that just completely wrong to look at it that way? The, the question I would have to ask, Oshin, is 
you know, the leaders are the guys that were to the fore in Oust and Anthony Cunningham. They obviously are strong-willed characters and, you know, want what they see is best for Gallo Hurland. But I just, none of these players seem to stand up when they were really wanted yesterday. And it's easy, it's easy to do it in the background, you know, in the wintertime. But when in the White Heat Championship in July, you know, August, September... These players did not stand up when they were needed. And I, it, you would feel sorry for Michal Donoghue. He is on a hiding to nothing in some ways. And I know David Collins came out and said a couple of months ago that if Galway don't win the All-Ireland, it'll be seen as a failure. And that that is the way it is, unfortunately. And it's the only title they can win now. They can't look back on a Leinster title or anything like that. It, it's, a tough, it's a tough position for them to be in. Mentally, I, I'm not too sure how they can break that barrier. And I don't think that barrier can be broken the next couple of months. I think it's in the previous six or seven months that it had to be broken down. And from what I saw yesterday, I didn't see any evidence that they've, you know, got this unbelievable will or mental kind of strength developed over the winter. So I I, I think they're going to find it tough and they could end up playing the likes of someone like Clare in a quarter final, which I, I find it hard to see Galway getting back to a final again. Let's talk about Clare because they've been drawn against Limerick in the qualifiers. As we speak, we're not sure where it is. The practical thing to do would, would be to have a double header: Cork taking on Wexford and uh, Limerick taking on Clare next weekend. But obviously the Cork footballers are in action against Limerick, so that might change things. Uh, Ursula, is that a good or a bad draw for Wexford to be taking on Cork? Um, well, look, it was never going to be an easy draw. You know, you look at, uh, you know, Cork, Clare, Limerick, uh, Wexford, you know, it was never going to be an easy draw for Wexford. Um, you know, like this time last year, you know, Cork and Wexford met in the qualifiers as well. And, you know, that was in Wexford Park and Cork kind of, you know, comprehensively beat beat Wexford that evening um, and you know they'll take confidence from that as well and you know they're after coming off a good win against Dublin um, and they'll be going in fully confident uh, ahead of the Wexford game whereas I suppose Wexford you know they they had a you know a fairly a fairly good win against Offaly at the weekend and you know they'll gain confidence from that as well but uh, you know they'll, know they'll 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 be up against you know trying to restrict some of the Cork forwards and you know, but look at it. It should be a good game, but uh, as I said, there's no easy, no easy draw at this stage. And Cork, look, they got the win, Michael. So they'd be glad with that. What they won't be glad with is the fact that they struggled against 14 men and were very <laughs> wasteful in front of goal. Yeah, and they conceded 123 again, Oshin, against 14 men, as you said there, which is very, very worrying. They, as we said before, they do have the forwards. They do have, you know, Harnedy, Alan Canigan was flying the other night. Conor Lahan. Patrick Horgan, they have the forwards to trouble anyone, and I think they have the forwards to put Wexford away. I think at the week uh, at the weekend, just it's after that and going forward, they're just they're, they're leaking so many kind of soft scores at the other end. Really, that would be worrying for me. I just I just don't see uh, I don't see the progression. I don't see I didn't see any evidence that they're shoring things up at the back and that they're going to you know concede an awful lot less. To be conceding one twenty three against fourteen men is very very worrying, and it's not you know it's not as if Dublin were absolutely flying or anything either the other night. They were you know there was a they wasted quite a bit themselves as well, so that'll be worrying for Cork going forward. But I don't I don't see them I don't see them being troubled too much by Wexford at the weekend. Wexford had had a relatively easy time against Offaly. Offaly were that was you know that was a basically a no show, particularly in the second half. And Wexford are down an awful lot of key men. 
as Liam Dunn said afterwards, and I just think that will catch up. I think they're caught in a few different areas. They've a lot of kind of you know promising under twenty ones playing, but they're quite raw at the moment for yeah. senior level as well. So I don't see, I don't to be honest with you, I don't see them getting within six or seven of Cork at the weekend. Wow! Before we move on to um, talking about the next qualifier between Limerick and Clare, I want to ask you about Jer Cunningham and Dublin. Look, they lost, so that means that the stories will look. The assumption will be that maybe Jer Cunningham has to go. Do you think that's the case? Um, because, you know, he has tried to bring in young players. He's tried to blood players. Some of those players will feature in the under-21s uh, during the week in the Borgash Energy Leinster under-21 final against Offaly and Tullamore. Obviously, for the minors, you know, it was a good weekend for them. They beat Wexford in the Leinster final. So w- w- what do you think the situation is? Because it's always easy to try and rush a manager out in this situation. But, you know, the, the, the actual situation itself is and can be somewhat more complicated. Yeah, the bare facts of it are that they won a Leinster final in 2013, three years ago, and we're within a couple of points of getting to an All-Ireland final in 2013. And, well, in Delos last year, 2014, would have been disappointing and people would have expected them to bounce back in 15 and 16. But realistically, if it hadn't been for you know a defensive error against Limerick, they would have been out in the qualifiers last year and they're out in the qualifiers this year again. You know, it, it it is with regards and I just saw Michael Carton, um, who retired last year, tweeting there Saturday night about how, you know, it was great to see some good underage players coming through, but that the man that the team hasn't progressed under the current management. And it's it's hard not to agree with that and to see that and to see what Colin Keeney tweeted pre after the Kilkenny game, that that's worrying uh in a sense of you don't really well, we don't really know what's going on yeah. behind the scenes, but there has been an awful lot of movement. From Jared Cunningham's point of view, he will say that he's blooded a lot of young fellas, and he has. He's blooded an awful lot of new players into the team, which will help you know, yeah. for the next couple of years. But I'm not sure whether he will be there to oversee their development next year. It's When you have two years like that where there's no real sign of progress, it's, it's hard to back a manager in that situation. It will be interesting to see what Dublin do. Um, yeah, very, very interesting. It's hard to know what way they'll go because... You're giving, you let him go into his third year then yeah. and again if they don't see progress people will say that he should have went last year so it'll yeah. be interesting to see what they do I guess the argument is is that they have stayed in Division 1A uh, Ursula we're running tight on time so I'm going to move on to Limerick and Clare uh, this has the making of an absolute cracker we saw in the league earlier on in the year a massive game between these two in Division 1B and Limerick didn't really show up they had a man sent off Clare well they went to the final they beat Waterford eventually but then they lost to Waterford in the first round or well in the first round of Munster a semi-final of Munster I should say but we didn't learn a whole pile about Clare in the game against Leash at the weekend they scored 5.32 but Leash were very poor Yeah you know like uh, in the 1B final earlier this year you know there was only four points separating the, the the two sides and you know Limerick that day as you said you know lost the player or got a player sent off so I expect it's going to be an extremely tight contest between the two. Uh, as you said, Clare are going to have learned very little from yesterday's game against Leash, but I suppose the, the positives for them is, you know, the likes of David McInerney and John Conlon, you know, back to the fore, and, you know, they're going to be massive players, uh, for, you know, for them against Limerick. Uh, Limerick, on the other hand, I suppose, you know, struggled for for a lot of the game against Westmead um, uh, at the weekend. And, you know, they, they know they're going to have to pick things up, you know, against Clare as well, because as, as we said, it's going to be the last chance for both teams. So I think it's going to be an intriguing game and I, I think it's going to be very close, but I, I do expect Clare going to edge this one. I think, you know, Clare are going to have learned a lot even from the defeat to Watford and, you know, they were moving nicely against Leash and I know, yeah. you know, Limerick are going to obviously be a big step up to that, but I just think they're going to have gained a 
a lot of confidence from that. And, you know, as I said, some of the big names that Drash are getting back into the team. Guys, just before I let you both go, uh, we're running out of time, which I appreciate sounds weird on a podcast because, you know, <laughs> podcasts are supposed to be something that has that have limit, limitless amount of time uh, due to the fact that they're podcasts. But studio space is not limitless on a time sense. So that's why I have to hurry you both on. I just want to look ahead briefly to the Munster final next week between Waterford and Tipperary in Limerick. Ursula, I'll start with you. What kind of game do you think it will be? Uh, who do you think might come out on top and why? Um, I think it's going to be a very tight game. I think, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be an interesting contest. I think Watford are going to have learned quite a bit from this game last year. You know, uh, they didn't probably perform to their full potential last year. And I think they're going to maybe look back on that and see that, you know, the areas that they need to work on. Now, obviously, we've seen that maybe Dara Fives is still uh, a massive injury concern and he will be a big loss to Watford. And, you know, because they need all their players as well. But they do have some good guys to come in off the bench as well um, Tip on the other hand you know they've had two good wins in the championship already beaten Cork and, and Limerick um, now obviously Bubbles O'Dwyer got sent off in the last game so he's going to be a huge loss for them um, and you know it, it'll be interesting and I think both sides are going to be using maybe three or four players each off the bench to win this yeah. one so I think it's going to be an interesting game uh, Michael? Yeah I just think Waterford might have the edge Oshin. I think they would have learned an awful lot last year um, Bubbles is a massive loss for Tipperary given the fact that he can put you know points over from that area around the middle third where they're probably going to need to on Sunday I don't see Seamus Callan getting in and getting you know 1-3 or 1-4 from play and I think Waterford have just developed the game plan a bit more against Clare while Clare that wasn't the Clare that we all expected I just think Waterford have pushed on a small bit more and might just edge it on Sunday Okay, Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and former Offaly Hurler, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, also, my thanks to Ursula Jacob, former All Ireland winner with Wexford. Guys, thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast here on News Talk. Thanks, Ursula. No still to come, football from Ulster and Munster. But first, more hurling. Next Sunday, Waterford taking on Tipperary in the Munster final in Limerick. It's a repeat of last year's decider, but as we say, in a different venue. Now, I've been speaking to Daisha boss Derek McGrath. I started by asking how glad he is to have Pork Mahoney back in starting matches. Keep in mind, he scored six points against Clare. Five of them were from freeze. He missed the entire championship last season and he was a massive loss. This is what McGrath had to say. It took him a while to find his feet in it, but work rate was unquestionable and attitude was unquestionable. And, you know, a general kind of leadership around the field was very important too. We felt... We weren't getting a huge amount of him out of him um, coming in and maybe acting as a kind of an impact type sub. You know, he's not the type of player who likes to start the game and um, you know direct, direct, direct things if you like on the field. So um, we were delighted with it and it was just reward for all the work he'd put in over the last 12 months. He's the kind of guy he's going to threaten defences no matter what he does. Even if he stands there and does nothing, they're going to have to put someone on him. And if he doesn't move at all in play, he'll stick over free. So it must be a big bonus as a manager to know no matter what he does, it will probably be a positive effect. Yeah, he's very good. He's a very clever player. You know, he has a lot of guile. Um, you know, as I said, very crafty and, and is able to score. So And a great worker for the team, as I said, and a great leader of the team in terms of his encouragement for the younger players within that forward line. Lots of guys look up to him. So having him back on the field as much for his play and his kind of leadership qualities was huge so yeah you're right he opens up space and he's able to take a score and he's a great team player which is the most important thing for, for, for Porrick you know Does it take pressure off other guys and you know does it, allow, does it allow Morris to play a bit freer does it have an effect in that regard? Yeah it does and it doesn't I suppose it, you could argue that happened the last day we said Porrick took over the, the mantle of the freeze and Morris then was freed up to score 1-2 or 1-3 from play himself but look 
There'll be a time where, where Morris perhaps is needed to go back on the freeze or otherwise every every guy is entitled to a bad day on the freeze or otherwise. So it's just about getting the right mix on, on one on one given day and making sure that the balance is right within the forward line. But look, effectively, you know, if you can get all guys um, working hard as one unit within that forward line, you stand a chance. And, and as I said, the balance of that forward line seems to be OK at the moment. The game is on in Limerick. Does that suit Waterford in many ways? Because you have to travel, but then so do Tip. And look, many people will see Thurles as a home venue, many Waterford fans. Uh, but it's definitely a home venue for Tip. They can train there, I think. I'm not sure if they do or don't. But was, was that kind of part of it, that, that that's one of the reasons why you wanted that game in Limerick rather than Thurles? Yeah, a couple of reasons, I think. I think I think last year, at the beginning of our league campaign, I've spoken before about the sense of apathy that was probably in Waterford. And that apathy was probably reflected in the in, in the disconnect probably between ourselves as a team and the, and the supporters and as the journey built I suppose towards the Munster final last year we felt that we not we owed it to our supporters but you know we I suppose we, we just felt that we should go to Thurles to play tip you know and upon reflection I suppose when we look at it this year also what had to be weighed into up last year was the fact that tip had gone to Limerick and beaten Limerick comprehensively there so this year we just kind of we, we maybe we're more selfish and there's definitely a more connection you know a more of a kind of a solid connection between ourselves and the supporters because the supporters like a team that works hard and is honest I think and and that's what the lads are doing at the moment so we just felt it was our right to go to a neutral venue and I think it'll be only the very small-minded person that would point to the fact that if we were beaten by Tipperary it was because of the venue you know I don't think we're I don't think we're shirking the challenge of going to Tipperary to play them in their home venue I think it's just a decision that we made. Actually, prior to the clear game, we just said to ourselves, look, if, if we win, where will we go? And we'd spoken about it as a manager. And we just felt that the, the ideal scenario was to go to a, to a neutral venue, you know. Is it kind of dangerous for you guys as well, though? Because you're so familiar with Turles and some of Waterford's best performances down the years, you know, with this team and teams of the past have come in Turles. Whereas as a Waterford man, I don't remember us ever having a, a big performance in Limerick. Yeah, it's it's very it's a very valid point, Oshin. It's... Um, you know, it's a very valid point. I, mean, I think I was with my dad in '83 myself in, in in Limerick when we were, we were hammered in the Munster final. You know, and I think '63 is actually the, I think '63 was the last Munster final we won there against Tipperary, ironically. So yeah, very good point. But look, I just did an interesting stat in the, in the hundred years of, of the uh, since 1884, whatever many years the GAs we've lost more games in Torres than we've won. <laughs> so um, I suppose I'm, I'm reaching here now. I'm reaching, but yeah, I, you know, I look, look. Yeah. I think it's um, it's a fair point, but it's just I, we just felt it was our right to go to a to a neutral venue. You know, I think I think a team that kind of plays. You know, in its in its in and trains in in home environment all the t- environment all the time. To me, has a, a small bit of an advantage. Albeit, as I said, if Tipperary were to beat us comprehensively, down Limerick people will point to the fact that it'll make the journey even longer for the water for people back. But look, if you say something often enough, it becomes ingrained in people's attitudes. So we're just hopeful that the negativity that surrounds us going to Limerick will dissipate and people will just go down there and support us and concentrate on getting into Limerick, not worried about how they get out of Limerick. You know. How have you evolved? How have you changed since last year's? Monster final when Tip I suppose in the last 10-15 minutes pulled away and kind of controlled the game yeah good question again I, I'm not sure how we've evolved in terms of well what's remained exactly the same is our level of, of work rate and attitude and our determination I think that's I think that's even um, it's probably better now than it was than it was last year I think there's a more composure um, um, with our players I think there's a sense that last year having won the league and having we'd say won a Munster semi-final and got to a final there was a sense whether it was among, subconsciously amongst players and management they like that look whatever happens this year we've had a relatively good year so I think 
that's kind of I think we parked that in, uh, immediately after the clear semi-final and said let's have a right cut off the Munster final we think our best path towards any type of success would be to get another um, cup and, and so in terms of evolving I'm not sure I think look they, they probably the, the, the influence of Patrick Curran and, and Shane Bennett and, and Dara Fives and um, you know guys that didn't play against Tipperary in the Munster final last year Porig didn't start so we had the four fellas we'd say that started the last year they didn't start the Munster final against Tipperary last year so in terms of evolving Porig was always central to how we'd play the game and as I said whilst the core principles remain the same we're probably trying to get that transition between having a condensed defence towards being a more potent trade up front we're trying to we're working hard on that without overdoing it to the point where fellas feel feel um, over-instructed, if you like. And I suppose it's a natural evolution as well. People forget how young most of this team are. So, for example, last year, Austin Gleeson might have won a ball and then made a bad decision. And it wasn't that he was doing it on purpose, obviously. It wasn't that he was, you know, there was anything wrong. He just needed the experience. He has that experience now. Park Matney is back. He's a great ball user. You know, even someone who's a little bit older, Mara Shannon, who's been around for a while, he's kind of, he knows his surrounds now and he knows Patrick Kern is running off and Patrick Kern, you can see the improvement in him. So how much of it is just a natural evolution of experience? Yeah, I think it's, you've answered the question. It is. It's very, very natural. I think that's, it's, it's very natural. I think there's a, what there is as well amongst that them, that particular quartet or, or the guys that you mentioned were is kind of a, a willingness to learn and a want to learn and a want to kind of gain more information about how they should play the game and yet at the same time have the freedom to kind of play and enjoy it. And um, we've never discouraged that, if you like. But yeah, a lot of it is natural, most of it is natural, but there's other... There's other parts of, of the informative kind of nature of these guys that they want to learn more and they want more video analysis and they want more constructive criticism as to what they want to, you know, how to get the best out of themselves, etc. And that's what it is. And look, when you have a tight unit like that, when guys are working hard for each other and there's no kind of egos, you have a chance, you know. Waterford manager Derek McGrath speaking to me at the Etihad Media Puck Fada in Crow Park. I think I'll just skip the results part. I didn't really feature which I'm sure comes as a massive shock to you. Now in football Paul Ganey scored 2-3 for the Kingdom in a 3-17 to 2-10 win over Tipperary in the Munster final. Analysis to come of some of the good and the bad for Kerry with off the ball's commentary team of James Horan, Darrow Kaneda and Declan Brown First though here is tip boss Liam Kearns and Kerry manager Eamon Fitzmaurice. Um, the performance was mixed. I think there was aspects that were very good. There were aspects that weren't so good. But um, just relieved to be on the right side of it and to have uh, to have won the Munster Championship and to be going the direct route to Crow Park. We, we thought we conceded a couple of scores that maybe we shouldn't have and then we didn't get all the chances we should have at the other end. So it's a combination of both. But they, they had, they're just that little bit too much for us all day, I think. That's the bottom line. We saw against Cork and we saw at times again today that when you go through the phases, if you want to put it that way, go through the transition, if you want to put it that way when you move the ball quick and in numbers you're very very dangerous are you frustrated that at times today a lot of long ball was played into Michael Quinlivan and while he's an obvious target too much of it was won and maybe you should have trusted yourselves to work the ball more yeah it was, it was a mixture we, we were trying to mix it up um, I think if we got more ball in lower to Michael it might have been you know he, he certainly caused a few problems for them when he got the ball and was able to run at them but in, in fairness Michael um, was sick last night so he wasn't probably at his best today but um, he showed flashes of what he can do and uh, yeah a bit unlucky not to get the goal I suppose the, 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 the goal chance that was the, that was the big one Paul Ganey motoring in inside the 13 Ganey four for Kerry and Kerry have this one wrapped up they will complete the four in a row now and Tipperary looked bedazzled Ganey with his second goal Kerry got a six point buffer um, you know after about 20-25 minutes the first half and, and they were in control of the game since then 
Um, everything going well for them in control. They got a lot of their players back on the field, which they'll be very happy. Anthony Maher looked very sharp when he came on. David Moran, James Donahue, Paul Ganey, obviously superb today. Michael Ganey came on and did a really great job, full of energy as he always is. And from that side, I think Kerry, Kerry will be happy with their performance and, and the, or the win. But, but overall, defensively, there is, there is question marks there. The goal chance, some of the goal chances they gave up, and, and the energy that they came, they, they turned off and turned on. Uh, throughout the course of the game. That's something that, that Eamon Fitzmaurice will be getting into them on, on Tuesday night. There's a trickle of people coming out onto the park. It's still sunny here in Killarney as Kerry are about to be awarded the trophy. You nearly forget, actually. It's such a bizarre game. There's there a, trophy a trophy to be awarded. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it is that kind of game, I suppose. The big plus from Kerry's viewpoint today would be Eamon Fitzmaurice asked them in the last couple of weeks to have more energy when they didn't have possession. They yeah. did have that today. Tipperary on numerous occasions in the first half, early in the second half, look for the comfort zone of a cross-field pass, keeping the ball going laterally they weren't even afforded that luxury when the game was a contest and that's the big plus from a Kerry viewpoint today Paul Murphy showed well showed that he is actually a forward as well as being a very very accomplished back and the other big plus from all the patrons that pay in here today they now know that they can go back to their clubs and that there will be county championship action next weekend and that keep home, keeps home fires burning that's keeps Eamon Fitzmaurice in, a popular man in Kerry as well and you know that the, the machine is moving and, and, and moving well Declan Brown I'm not sure you can hear me there because you're absolutely can, yeah. surrounded by people what do you tip take from this game? I have to take an awful lot from it. You know, like these guys, first time in a Munster final. You know, um, you're going to have to learn from that. These occasions where, you know, you're you're, you're facing the best and you're, you're pitting yourself against the best and see see where it takes you. But um, it's hugely disappointing. Obviously, you come down to win, but yeah. you have to be realistic as well and say that um, you know we have bigger fish to fry in, in two weeks' time. And and I've, I've I've said it on record as well that if we could manage to play a quarter final in Crow Park this year, it would be massive. Like equally as big as winning a Munster title you know so um, there's a lot there to be played for the real thing that we don't want to happen is now is to fade away you know um, and do you mean that like in a this year sense or as a footballing force sense because Tip we've seen it in the past they've got to Munster finals and they haven't built on it Liam Curran said regardless of what happens today against Kerry we need to keep coming back you need, yeah, exactly. That's it. You need to keep coming back, you know. But I said earlier there that like having to um, play in a Munster semi-final next year is a huge step as well. You know, you're avoiding one of the big guns, hopefully, um, and that's huge. But like I said, to play in Crow Park this year, that would be my aim, you know, and get these guys that experience. They have it in minor, they have it in 21, but it's a big difference uh, making that step up to um, senior level. So if we can manage to get there this year, I think that would be a massive achievement for us, and then build on next year, then try and get the lads back that have been humming and hawing or whatever they've been doing, um, pucking balls or whatever they've been doing, you know, so um, get them back into the squad, get get the best you have available playing and that would be huge for Tip, you know, and, and you can move forward. But as I said, the next game is massive for us that we don't drop the heads. We, we, we get back to training during the week and we drive on from there. The off-the-ball commentary team of James Horan, Dara O'Kaneda and Declan Brown on Kerry's win over Tipperary. So, what is it like to be part of a Division 3 team or a lower-ranked team when you come up against a side like Kerry or, or Dublin or a Mayo in a big game like that? Why does it appear that these lower-ranked teams make more basic errors? Why do they miss shots that they would normally score when they're playing against other Division 3 or Division 4 teams. Well, Peter Atchison is a Tipperary captain and he gave me a good insight into this after the game. And look, it's often said when teams like Tipperary come up against the Kerry that they don't have the belief and they lack confidence and maybe they're nervous and that's what's costing them. Well, that's something we explored and Atchison has some quite interesting things to say about it. We thought we had a really good chance coming into the game and uh, we started well. But uh, I was just, I suppose before the game we were saying that um, if we match them for, for work rate and uh, if we perform to our best or near our best, I think we had a really good chance. 
we, we didn't match up work great, but our performance just wasn't there today for some reason. So it has to be there against, against Kerry or else you have no chance. You did a lot of good things, but there was a lot of bad things. You made a lot of basic errors and allowed them to get in and get scores, and a lot of their scores came off those errors. What do you put those errors down to? Is it a mixture of nerves and just being pressurised by Kerry and the day itself, or is it something else? How, how do you look at it? Yeah, um, I don't think it was nerves, and I think we're all very relaxed going into the game. We're very we're up, up for the right, but I don't think there was much nerves there now. Um, I think it was just a ferocity of the tackle there. The forwards tackles like like cornerbacks and fairness them. They had a line there at the halfway line and it was just like a wall. And we, we usually attack in three of three, four or fives, but today we're only attacking ones and twos, so just lads are getting isolated and can't do it against Kerry. Is that the difference between playing the opponents you'd regularly play from Division Three and an opponent like Kerry, a Division One team, a perennial All Ireland challenger? The big difference is physicality and just being hit and hit hard all over the park from minute one to minute seventy. Yeah, like I said, the forwards tackle like backs, and that's that's what they work on, and that's what we're, we're trying to get there. They're the benchmark, and we're trying to get to there. But uh, just against Kerry and Dublin or Lakes, whoever Mayo, you have to move the ball quick and just not bring the ball into the tackle, and we just didn't do it today. And there was times in the second half where you got inside the 45 and just made the wrong decision. Does that come from just being fi- so physically battered and fatigued that it's impossible to make the right call and, yeah. and do the right thing? Yeah, it might have been. Just, your tongue's hanging out for most of the game against teams like this, so probably is a bit... kind of your mind plays on your mind a bit, but... Uh, we kind of have to go for goals too. I think we're kind of put, we're, we're pushing a bit too much maybe instead of taking our points. We kind of tried to get a goal early. And I think there in the second half we're on top for 10 minutes and we three or four bad wides. If we kicked them it could have been a different story but it just didn't happen for us today. You must take confidence from the fact that you got 2-10 and created a lot of chances and it could have been a lot closer. Yeah, we definitely had one or two more goal chances and seven or eight bad wides was a few frees and a few in general play that... We, we, we've definitely scored another day against Cork they just all went over so then you're looking at 3-18 or 19 and look at her, you're close to winning the game then if you're getting, you're getting to that score there and this is something your manager has spoken about he said even if it doesn't quite work out today for whatever reason you have to keep coming to, back to finals you have to keep getting into Munster deciders and playing big games and I suppose look even immediately after you seem to be saying that you have learned from this and that if you were to come back to this stage or even get a big team in the qualifiers, you wouldn't go as long to Michael Quinlivan all the time. You'd work it because you have the players to do that. Yeah, look, yeah, I'm positive from it. can't really think about it right now. They're not too clear right now, right? But Friday or maybe maybe at the end of the year, maybe we'll start talking about this when the Munster Championship 2017 is coming along. But uh, we're in the last 12 now, so look, it'll be a great achievement to get to, get to a quarterfinal. You never know then what, what yeah. might happen. But next year... Well, hopefully you might get a might get a buy from Cork or Kerry, and you might get back into a muster final maybe. And yeah, we'll be come back stronger anyway from this experience. Yeah, Peter, thanks for talking. Peter Atchison, the Tipperary captain, speaking to me in Killarney following their loss to Kerry in the Munster Senior Football Final. Still to come, we look ahead to the Euro 2016 semi-finals. Paddy Mulligan will drop along to do that. But first, in Ulster football, Tyrone will take on Donegal in the final on July 17th. That game will take place in Clonus. There was some talk that it might go to Crow Park, but that has been shot down. Tyrone qualifying after a 5-18 to 2-17 win over Cavan in their semi-final replay on Sunday. On Saturday, Donegal overcoming Monaghan. The Tyrone-Cavan game was live on Off the Ball and afterwards, match commentator Dave McIntyre spoke with Sean Cavanagh of Tyrone Cavan manager Terry Highland and of course, Tyrone boss 
Mickey Hart. We did believe that we could play much better than we did the first day and I suppose we knew that if we didn't concede three goals then we'd be probably in a strong position and that's the way it turned out. We didn't concede the goals uh, when it mattered and, and I suppose we did concede some late in the game which we'd be concerned about but I think that made the difference. And we weren't conceding goals until getting scores ourselves and I suppose when you get goals yourself after not having got any the last day that was a great fill up for us all. If you concede 217 generally you will not win the game so that we have to be very wary of and I suppose Donegal looking in there and see if Cavan can punch 217 in our defence and our, against our team then what could they not do with it you know so a definitely a cause for concern it is as it is and uh, we have to go and learn from that and see can we make it better for ourselves defensively the next day out because if we don't then we'll not win the Ulster title and that's what we're after Peter Hart is through and he rifles it into the roof of the net they've cut Cavan apart down the left hand side I, I thought we put in a strong shift to go as you said cut us open at that vital stage but it was you know what I mean it was tit for tat we were pegging away with them that stage and then suddenly there was within four or five minutes there was a six point gap in it, and that's really that was the wedge that was there Tierna McCann for Tyrone and he's been brought down and the ball is put into the back of the net by Peter Hart again Sean the, uh, the expectation levels now will be soaring after that performance and I know you'll probably be installed now as favourites to win the Ulster title I guess that's something you just need to be wary of here we, we always have to be aware that we are the same team I've seen it over the years we are the same team that, that left here two weeks ago with everyone saying that you know we, we maybe weren't the, weren't the team that we, we looked like in the league so you know you, you're never as good as any, any big performance I guess and you're never as bad as any poor performance um, we, we know we have we have quality in the squad but uh, Donegal have had the upper hand on us for a number of years now uh, this is obviously the first time in six years we, we got back to the big day in Ulster so we're going to enjoy that there but uh, we know we've got a, got a serious battle on our hands in two weeks as well Sean Cavanagh, Terry Highland and Mickey Hart all speaking to Dave McIntyre following the Tyrone Cavan Ulster semi-final replay. Tyrone going on to meet Johnny Gall in the final on July 17th. That should be a great occasion in Clonus. Now, due to my GA commitments, I was travelling all around the country this weekend, so I only got to see one of the quarterfinals at Euro 2016, and that was Wales' win over Belgium. That means that uh, I'm not really qualified to preview the semi-finals with Paddy Mulligan, the ex-Ireland international because if I was to talk to him, having not seen three of the four quarterfinals, I quite frankly would be bullshiting you. Even more than normal. Raf Diallo is no bullshiter, and he has been talking to Paddy. All right, Paddy. Um, we know our Euro 2016 semi finalists. It's obviously Wales, Portugal, and also then France, Germany, which is a mammoth one. Before we get to that one, obviously Wales, Portugal. <laughs> I know it's ne- it's always about 11 versus 11, but it's getting tied down into this Bale versus Ronaldo thing. Um, I don't know about you, but just looking at both teams, it seems that Bale is playing with his teammates, whereas the other on the other side, it's almost like the team is playing for Ronaldo. I don't know if, if that's yeah, fair. At the moment, at the moment, Wales seem to be the better team all round, and, and yes, Portugal have, have have some decent individuals, but that's what they are. They're just like the Belgians; they're just decent individuals. And when push comes to shove, will they will they really put it in for for the for the team? Because there doesn't appear to me to be a, a team ethic there with, with yeah. the Portuguese, whereas there is very much a team ethic with with, uh, with the Welsh, who, who Joe Allen in midfield, has been, for instance, has been immense for them. Um, all, all the tournament, was magnificent again the other night, and and it won't it won't surprise me if Wales. Um, uh, beat Portugal and I wouldn't be calling it an upset either if Wales to go and beat uh, Portugal if yeah. they play any way like they played against uh, uh, the Belgians they've got a wonderful wonderful chance of taking care of the Portuguese and and, and um, I wouldn't go along with, with, with the or Bale versus Ronaldo I mean uh, uh, Ronaldo has, has been quite poor by his high standards uh, in, in the tournament bar one really uh, good game bar one yeah 
exactly. And and uh, but but uh, Wales as, as a unit have been absolutely smashing. So I'd I'd I'd, I'd put the hex on on, on Wales and probably uh, tip them to go home and win. So that's that's them and, and that's them in trouble straight <laughs> away. But it'd be great. I'd I'd love to, I'd love to see the Welsh win and 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 uh, and, and just scupper the rest of them and and. We'll see what we'll see what it'll be a big test for for the Portuguese as well yeah. to see who who can stand up. I'm always I'm always skeptical of a team, any team that has nanny in it. I'm always very skeptical of of, of their work ethic and when when push comes to shove, when they're under pressure, who'll stand up. And Ronaldo, unfortunately, has gone back to his always on occasions in, in the tournament as well at uh, gesticulating to his to his colleagues and telling them they should be there and they should be in that position. And, and just you know, losing focus, losing concentration. And once Actually, he loses, what effect concent- does that kind of waving of arms have on a teammate? Like, um, well, you tell them where you'd be telling them where to go under your breath. But, or but if it's a, someone like Ronaldo, who's yeah, if it's someone like Ronaldo who's that far and away the best player in the team, he's the captain. He's supposed to be the leader. Yeah, but he's got to, he's he's supposed to lead. Yeah, and that's not that that to me is not leading. He's got to, he's got to set the example. Yeah. I mean, he is the he is the best player. He's, he's a magnificent player, and and that's all the more reason. Why well, he shouldn't behave in that in that childish fashion that he, that he does behave in? Yeah. I mean, nobody goes out on the pitch to go and, uh, and make a mistake uh, uh, because people would have an awful lot of pride. But he's treating his colleagues as if they were little children, two years of age, who've 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 made mistakes. You can't just do stuff like that. Get out and perform on alone. Do do what you're good at. Go and take people on. Go and get your goals. Go and create and 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 and, and go and defend when you have to defend, and at least at least make an effort. But he, he hasn't been doing that. So you see, when and, and another thing about the Portuguese, when when other when his colleagues see him not doing stuff, they turn around and say, "Well, why should I bother? If he's not bothered, why should we be bothered?" Yeah. And that's the sad part about it because I think there's an awful lot of weak uh, players in the Portuguese setup. Whereas, uh, uh, say, if, if that was Ronaldo and the Welsh team. Or if, or if Bale starts acting the Michael in the Welsh team, not think that actually Williams would be on Tom straight away. Yeah. Don't care who he is, don't care who he plays for. Not think that, 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 that Joe Allen or that, that, that Ramsey or, or Vokes, any of these lads, they look, you better believe it. They're going to at full back, yes, you better believe it. They'd be on, they'd be on straight away. But the Portuguese lads are just accepting it from, from uh, Ronaldo, and that could be their downfall. Yeah. But they are prepared, they have been prepared to accept. Now they've got to another semi final, which and they've had a great record uh, in, in the Euros. But I, I'd, I'd I'd like to see I'd like to see the Welsh go on and uh, and win it. And Chris Coleman has been has been a, yeah, cause just on to him as well. Magnificent like, tournament. The, the system he's created, like you kind of think, like a Baylor or, or a Ramsey in the same team, sometimes can be in risk if you're playing them further back. But what he's done actually is have them both. Far up the pitch, yes, and where there's a threat from behind, yeah. You know, where there's yeah. no good playing Bale back, back, back at left back. He's no threat yeah. to anybody. Only, only a, maybe only a threat to, a, to his own team, uh, making defensive errors. So have have him up as high up the pitch as he possibly can. Let him go on those long mazy runs that he, that he loves to go on when the opportunity when the opportunity yeah. occurs. And that's uh, and that's to be that's very very good management. Uh, from Chris Coleman. And let's not forget that Gary, B, Gary the late uh, Gary Speed set the whole thing in motion yeah. uh, f- uh, for the Welsh as well. So let's let's remember him. And he's, he he unfortunately passed away. Uh, and uh, but at least uh, Chris Coleman now is really building a monument uh, to to and the Welsh FA to uh, to Gary Speed yeah. for all 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 the uh, the amount of work that that he did beforehand. But certainly you know the Welsh to me they've been absolutely magnificent. I thought maybe when they got beaten by England. That maybe that might just that the wheels uh, might come off or something. Yes, yeah. they, they they just might say, oh well, it's not to be. But no, they they uh, 
they they put their heads down and they decided right we're going to we're going to make a, a statement here and they've certainly gone and gone and done that and let's hope the statement isn't finished yet. France, quite conceivably yeah. they could they quite conceivably I mean they could go and win this tournament. Well, don't, don't, don't forget the Greeks. Like, yeah. and don't forget the Danes. I think oh. the Belgium game proved that it's eminently possible. Yeah. You know this if they because Portugal aren't Portugal are dangerous, but they haven't yeah. actually beaten a team. And they in got a little, They probably got a little bit lucky against against the Belgians. And, and look at any yeah. any luck that they got, they most certainly deserved. Because I never thought the Belgians were serious contenders to go home with it, even though they were ranked number one or number two in, in, in the world. And for a few reasons and and the reasons being that a lot of their of the Belgian players did not perform for their clubs during during the last season and then they went and appointed Hazard as captain and that to me was like a red Yeah, it to seemed a like a, like an odd decision. He's he doesn't not, he doesn't like he's a he's great player a but he doesn't come across he's as a leader, a leader in that way. And yeah. he, he did he, he did nothing in the tournament for for uh, for the Belgians. I'd, I'd say then Vincent Company must have been just a massive loss, even aside from his exactly, actual defensive stability. Exactly. Then, well, he, keep, he 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 seems to be the one to keep everything together, and that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, people have got to step up. You know, if, if Vincent Company is missing, right, I'm going to step up. Hazard should have been stepping up. Lukaku should have been stepping up. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Vertonghen should have been stepping up. All these lads, all the, the, the lads playing for Spurs, and none of them, none of them did. So that, that there's huge concern about their about their mental attitude, as there will be about Portuguese the Portuguese yeah. mental attitude as well. And if 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 the Welsh uh, see any frailty at all in the Portuguese, I think they're strong enough and and good enough to go and pounce on it. Yeah, and and let's hope so. Now France worked out a few frailties of ice from Iceland. Well, like Iceland had a wonderful journey anyway, oh, and I think yeah, and yeah. probably it was going to be a bit of a fairy tale if they were going to go as far yes, as yeah, a final yeah. with Wales. I was I was hoping that they'd go and and and, and upset the apple cart yeah. again last night. And, but but you can only do that like if you're Iceland, you can only do that once or twice a tournament. Yes, yeah, yeah, and their and their 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 uh, their big night was last was last last Monday night. Yeah, against the English, and I suppose when they when they beat the English and beat them so convincingly. They thought, well, that's our job done, and that's the, that was the sad part about it because there were yeah. there were two down. The game was for me watching the game last night. The game was over after twenty minutes. Unfortunately, was, yeah. I, as a matter of fact, if I'm being honest about it, it was over after twelve. As soon as the French scored, I just said, "Man, that's it." Uh, the the I, I, Iceland have got no chance of coming back here. This is this is not England lads that you're playing. Yeah, this is the French who've got have got a fair few decent players in their squad, and Payet in midfield is is an exceptional player. Griezmann. Uh, just to mention too, I mean they're they're a very 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 good team. Yeah, I even suppose, though yeah. they have to me, they still I, I still think that the back four is very very weak, and but yeah. they have they haven't been they haven't been tested. Yes, and, and yes, uh, Iceland got two goals against them last night. So that'll that'll be that'll be one for for the Germans to yeah, work on. No, the, as if they I, haven't, yeah. as if the Germans haven't got it all worked out now anyway, because they're so they're so meticulous in their in their preparation yeah. for everything. And that look, that's the way it should be. I'm not I'm not complaining about the Germans being meticulous. I'm I'm, I'm admiring them for being so meticulous. Yeah, they just leave they just leave nothing to chance. Signs by that, if memory serves me correct, I think they've only failed to reach the quarterfinal of a European or World Cup. Once in their history, Euro two thousand. I stand, to, I stand they, to be correct on that, but yeah. I think it's only. I think they, it's only once. Even the one of the worst German teams we've ever seen got to a World Cup final in two thousand and two. So that says a lot as well. Yes. But just on France as well, um, Didier Deschamps eventually has kind of put Griezmann in where he wants to be in the middle right behind in the middle. Giroud. Yes. I don't know. Is that like? A, is that seen maybe as a good sign of Deschamps' management, or maybe they didn't spot that in the first place anyway? I don't know where well, he should have. He should have. Yeah. He should have spotted it. 
I mean, it's it's obvious for a long, long time that Griezmann, you know, likes to be in a, in central, a middle. Yeah. He wants to be he wants to be in a central role because he's going to get he's going to get far more touches if he's playing wide in the right or out wide in the left. He's reliant on other people getting him the ball, yeah. and that's not always going to happen. And then when he when, when when he does eventually get it, he's going to be marked very, very tightly. But at least when he's in a central role, he can go and drift and float. And, and move into positions of, of his yeah. own accord and link up if, if, if necessary with, with, with Giroud or else play off Giroud or play off his midfield, his other midfield players and it's worked, it's worked out a treat from. But I say the Germans, the Germans should have that, should have that move covered. You know, and yeah. what you do is you look at the nearest man to him, you pick him up, but don't leave it late. Don't do a Seamus Coleman on it. Yeah. Whatever, you, whatever you do. Out holding hands with the, with the, with the, with the, with, the, with, his, with his French, uh, um, uh, um, uh, with a French player out in the touchline, Seamus never saw that that he should be uncovering. Yeah, for the for Griezmann's second goal against Ireland, terrible, terrible defending, and, and two against uh, Belgium as well. Uh, uh, with Lukaku, with, with the two goals Lukaku got, I mean, Seamus should have been in in a good covering position. That's three goals, and 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 uh, I don't see too many people talking about it, but they want to start looking at it again and look at Seamus yeah. Coleman. I mean, Ronald Coleman should be Coleman should be seeing this, and and he, he's got an awful lot of work to do. I admire Seamus Coleman as, as a player and, and as, as uh, going forward and on the ball. Smashing. Seamus, you've got to, I've pleaded with you before, you've got to look after your defensive side of the game because it's after cost in Ireland. Yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah, just on kind of the France-Germany game as well, um, the penalty shootout that got Germany here was one of the worst I've ever seen. I was shocked oh. as well because German was, players were involved. It Usually was, they're, uh, yeah, it was yeah. an embarrassment, wasn't it? Oh. And what about, what, what, what about, the pen, what about uh, uh, Pell's penalty? Well, there were two that stood what out. Sort of Zaza, penalty? where he did that run-up that went on forever. And Schweinsteiger's and, yeah. penalty. Yeah. Schweinsteiger ballooned it over the bar. Schweinsteiger did miss one in the Champions League final. Yeah. I'm not surprised well, that yeah. he did. Not so, because he's had an awful season at Man United when he's played. Yeah. He's been dreadful. He's been, he's been so, so far off the pace. Uh, it, it, it's been frightening. And yet he's the, one of the mainstays now of the, of the, uh, of the German setup. So that 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 will concern you a little bit if you were a German fan, I can assure you. But yeah. the, the 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 penalty situation of the night was just it was just Pell's penalty, as you were saying. It well, Pell's uh, penalty. I, don't know what was, he was I think it was just the cheek that he was kind of almost intimate, and he's going to chip him, and then he didn't do anything. And really. then you see, you can't you can't be playing games like that. Not with Neuer. No, you can't be playing games like that. You, you've got to make up your mind. I'm going to hit it to the left, or I'm going to hit it to the right, or I'm going to hit it down the middle and hope that he dies beforehand. Yeah. But you've got to make your own mind up and forget about it. And, and and oh, there's some some dreadful penalties for for professional footballers. It, it was it was quite frightening actually. Yeah. Um. The one thing with Germany though, they play a very high line, and I saw Iceland pretty much. That's what. Yeah, because Neuer just, will be the will, will be the sweeper. But it's a risk though, because France yeah. got it's so a, much joy against yeah, it, Iceland it, it, doing that exact same thing, yeah, like direct balls and then flick on. They didn't have Neuer in goal. Yeah. Neuer, and I know Neuer is capable of making mistakes. I've seen him do it. Yeah. Look at, like like we all are. But he he by and large he's been told he's going to be outside his eighteen yard box. Now, the trick there is if a French player sees him, yeah, off outside his eighteen yard box, why not chip him? If somebody is good enough, if, like a Piat, might be able to do something like that. Uh, ju- just for instance, yeah. Griezmann Griezmann certainly would. And Piat a skill to born. So it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. But they, look, they use him. They use him as a sweeper. He's 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 always comfortable on the ball. Um, and and uh, he's a smashing goalkeeper, so it's going to be it's going to be a very very interesting, and I hope a really good game on on on, on Thursday night. Yeah, 
And I suppose finally, before I let you go, England are looking for a manager. Um, I don't know. Looking at the options and who would who would who yeah, would again, right who would mind? take the job? Who would in because, the right mind yeah. take that job? Yeah, it's a poison chalice, and it's 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 a, it's a dreadful dreadful job. Um, if you were Arsene Wenger, though, would you even risk making that move once your contract expires next year? Well, you'd have to you'd have to be looking at 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 what would happen to your reputation. Yeah, and. If he's if he's interested, and, and we all should be interested in, in our reputations, well, then he'd leave it alone, mm-hmm. because I think it can, it can only it can only be bad unless that somehow he works some sort of a miracle. But I I doubt that very 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 much. Yeah, I can't and, really see it myself. Well, you see, Hodgson Hodgson made so many mistakes as far as I was concerned, and we spoke about it here, Rap, as well about taking Wilshire. Yeah, you know, even taking Sterling, who's had a horrible horrible season, and then and then and then going and playing him. And he, he's done, and oh, it's a lack of confidence. And it's not a lack of confidence, lads. I've got news for you. It's a lack of ability. That's where Sterling is. That's a type of player Sterling. I've said this before, and, 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 and people might laugh about it. He can't kick a ball, and he can't head a ball. And yeah. his football intelligence level is very, very low. So, and yet Man City paid 49 million. And as a Liverpool fan, thank you very much, Man City. You were daft. But. They've gone, they've gone and done it. They've had a year of him now, and and, and I'm saying that Pellegrini was, was wondering what did what 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 did they spend forty nine million on? Because he had a horrible season at, at yeah, uh, and and it's not going to get any better for him. No matter what, Guardiola is going to have to do an awful awful lot of work on 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 uh, on Sterling to get him to get him back anyway right again. Yeah. But even when he was at Liverpool with the good season Liverpool had with Suarez himself and and, and Sturridge, Sterling was still missing one-on-one situation with the keeper. So that that has not changed. Except what, what what covered the whole thing up was the fact that Sturridge and, and Suarez were scoring goals for fun. Yeah. And then his misses were... And then Sterling was getting the odd goal as well. So that that covered a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, but the most important things is his first touch is poor, he can't kick a ball correctly and he can't head a ball. And I, I, I really don't know how he's a professional footballer to be hurt, to be honest with you. So we can predict it's, Sterling's not getting the England job. I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> think so. Look at whoever. I, I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't have a breeze who who who'd be mad enough to go and take that English job. Yeah. I mean, Gareth Southgate. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't he even. He doesn't want it anyway. I wouldn't not, even go in there interim on an basis. interim basis. Yeah. You know, let the FA head off in, in, into the sunset. Roy Hodgson was at Liverpool for six months and was the worst six months of my of my life following Liverpool. When he was appointed, it was bad enough. But God, when I saw when I saw his carry on, I just said, "What is this?" But it's, it, isn't it? Isn't football a strange game? That that that, and the people in football are strange that they appoint these people, and you wonder, well, what are they appointing them for at, at, at this level? I mean, he, the expectation is far too great for a, a man like Roy Hodgson. Yeah, he's, he's he's been around the world for sport, uh, picking up picking up lots of lots lots of lots of lots of cash, and um, with nothing much on, on a CV to show for it at the end of the day. And uh, well, I, it just it just it just beggars belief. But nothing surprised me what the English FA do. Then you had the farcical situation of having a press conference with Denny when the sa- sit- with the sacked manager. With, yeah, with, yeah, and and Hodgson went and did it, and then he comes along and does another press conference, and he was asked to do it and he said well why am I here well if you have to question yourself as to why you're there you shouldn't be there shouldn't have gone there in the first place yeah so it just goes to show you how weak yeah but by to me anyway by by picking Wiltshire who hadn't played all season long 
that was that that was enough for me. That taught me all I needed to know about Roy Hodgson that this was going to be a, another disaster for England, and and of course it was. I never expected that Iceland would beat them. I don't but think anybody I certainly, did. I certainly <laughs> I don't think, think Iceland expected. Yeah, I didn't, certainly didn't think that England would would win the Euros not by not by a long shot. No more than I thought that the Belgians would win the Euros. Yeah, but here we are. Well, we ha- here we are is right, and and, uh, and we got a good laugh out of it as well. I, mean, I, I had a great laugh last Monday night. <laughs> it was brilliant. Go on, Iceland. Anyway, it was, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. You see, they're so they're so they're so arrogant, and you know, since they won it in '66, they haven't beaten too many top teams when when push has come to shove. They've barely won a knockout game since yeah. Euro '96. Oh, it's, it's, that it's, way. And only that it was in England in '66, they probably wouldn't have won it. But I must confess that in 1970 when they got beaten by Brazil in that wonderful game in, in, in Mexico, beaten 1-0, when, when Gordon Banks made that magnificent save uh, from uh, Pele's header. Um, England, I thought, were a better team in 70 than they were in 66. Yeah, I think I've heard that, that yeah. before. And they, and, they, uh, and, they, uh, and they messed up big time uh, against the Germans. 2-0 up, weren't they? 2-0 up. 3-2, yeah. And they got beaten. They got beaten 3-2 and Bobby Charlton was taken off. And then Beckenbauer went to went to town. He had the freedom. Then he, he went to town. Being a clever player, foot, lots of football intelligence, he just decided to start. He started to decide to get forward and start creating big, big change. So Alf Ramsey was, he, Ramsey was probably very, very unlucky as well. That he yeah. he, he probably felt well. I, uh, we should be we should be okay here. Not realised, but he should, he should have realised the threat that Beckenbauer could, uh, could be, and and Gert Muller, I mean, wonderful, wonderful players. Yeah. Definitely. Anyway, we'll leave it there now. Uh, we know what the Down memory lane, Rafa. Yeah. Down memory lane, yes, indeed. indeed. Yes. Uh, Paddy, take everybody back. I, I take everybody back two centuries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming in, Paddy. Pleasure indeed, Rafa. Thank you. Brilliant. Cheers. Interesting stuff from Rafa and Paddy there. Well, I'm assuming it was interesting. I'm actually recording this outro before they've sat down to have the discussion. As always, you can tweet me on at Oshin Langa. We're back next Monday. And by the way, if SSE or Tristy League football is your thing, Richie and I are back with our SSE or Tristy League podcast this week. Next week on The Rewind, though, when we return on Monday, we'll be looking back on a massive weekend of hurling and football qualifiers. Also, we'll reflect on the Munster hurling final and the Connacht football final two great occasions in store between a Waterford and Tipperary in Limerick on Sunday and of course Roscommon and Galway at Pierce Stadium on Sunday if you're going to either match give yourself extra time the traffic will be horrific going into Limerick it'll be even worse going to Salt Hill that's it from me talk to you next week goodbye and good luck Rewind with Oisín Langan 